I praise the Lord. I'm going to speak a message entitled The Orb and the Scepter. And um, I guess I, I want to start by saying these are great days to be alive, aren't they? Yeah. Hey? I, do, I do hope you're enjoying your Platinum Jubilee weekend. Yeah. How's that going for you? Amazing, Miriam. It's a great, I, I feel so, so thrilled to be from this fair island and islands. And uh, I thank God for being part of this nation and having such a wonderful monarch. I do have a t-shirt which my son has told me is inappropriate that I was going to wear today. Um, it's, it's even worse than the shirt. And um, Jonathan Kent said, if I wear it, I'll be locked in the tower. It's got Wonder Woman's body with the Queen's head <laughs> on it. And I do, I do believe she's a Wonder Woman. It's, always, it's meant with absolute reverence and respect. I, I, if, you, if you know me, I am a massive fan of our Queen. I absolutely love the woman. And so it's such a joy to centre my word around her coronation and uh, the scriptures that bounce off some of the symbolism in the coronation. And, uh, you know, it's a happy day, isn't it? Some, some days we just have to pause and say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. It's great to be alive. Now, you might be going, stuff. I know we've got Meg in the congregation. She's all bust up from falling down the stairs. It's not great what Meg's been through and the last week or so, but it's a great day to be alive in the UK, isn't it? On, on Coronation Weekend and on the Platinum Jubilee. And uh, I know Meg was watching the concert last night. She put it out on Facebook. And uh, it was a good concert, wasn't it? Most of it, apart from uh, a few of the acts. Yeah. Anyway, I'll not offend people's tastes by saying which I did and didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> As I prayed about what to share this Sunday, I saw, I was laying on my bed asking Father what to preach on, and I, as I held myself with worship playing in the background, I saw a series of moving images play out in my mind's eye. The first image was of the coronation crown. It's known as St. Edward's crown from the crown jewels. It's from the 13th century of St. Edward the Confessor. It's named after him. And uh, it was like the camera angle, if you can imagine, like that panned around the crown and then came over the top of it and then started to ascend. And it just kept going and going and going until the crown was out of view. And then I was in the clouds and it wasn't there anymore. And immediately as I'm viewing this imagery, as I'm seeking the Lord in prayer, it, I was thinking of the scripture in Isaiah 66 where it says, heaven is my throne. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. I was thinking about the greatness of God as I was viewing these images in my mind. I was thinking about the majesty of the Lord. You know, this picture montage that was impressed upon me when contrasted with even the finest majesty on this earth, which I believe our queen is, she is the finest, probably in world history for me. Can you believe you're alive during that time when the finest monarch, as my belief, she's that good, um, is on the throne. But even the finest majesty of this earth compared to the Lord is a dot compared to his majesty. And I, I think Paul, Paul whispering to a bit like John Boardman last week, Paul Graham starts praying. I was like, he's praying my sermon. <laughs> Speaking about the greatness of God and the eternality of God and the purposes of God. And quite often we get lost in the small. And I just believe today we should honor the queen, but we should also think about the power behind the throne, the majesty above 
her authority because you'll see as I share um, what I'm going to share that there is a majesty above her majesty. That verse in Isaiah 66 goes on and says, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house? Where's the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favour. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. I, I believe our, our, our queen is humble as a monarch. I believe she's down to earth. I know she keeps marmalade sandwiches in her handbag and can do the rhythm of we will rock you on a teacup. Our queen obviously likes queen. It's a totally unspiritual point, but Adam Lambert doesn't compare to Freddie, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry if you like his singing. So I can't believe the pastor just mentioned <laughs> Freddie Mercury in church. This is what our queen, our humble queen said about the authority behind her majesty. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words. An example, our humble servant queen acknowledges her accountability before God. I love that. I love the fact that she acknowledges the Lord. What a privilege to be alive with such a monarch on the throne. He's been through so much. Do you know when she ascended to the throne, it was 1953, 69 years ago. It was the 2nd of June, 53. But she acceded the throne from her father in 52. Her coronation ceremony was laced with symbolism. Real deep meaning, spiritual meaning. In a lot of the things she did, it contained some deep vows which she made before God. In this time we have together, I'd like to consider two of the elements of that coronation service, which launched our Queen's unparalleled 70-year reign, objects from the crown jewels which we know as the orb and the spectre. Let's have a look at those two briefly before I bounce on into some scriptural teaching on the back of these. The, the orb and the scepter... Let's go backwards. The orb and the scepter are two of the most authoritative monarchical, monarchical symbols. The orb and the scepter are used at the coronation of each new sovereign since the 13th century we've been doing these ceremonies. And, and they are objects full of symbolism. The orb, let's have a look at that. The sovereign's orb as it's known which is part of the crown jewels, of course. The orb, this ball with the cross on, is a symbol of godly power. The cross above the globe represents Christ's dominion over the earth. As the monarch is God's representative on earth. Now, did you hear what I just said? The symbolism behind this incredibly priceless object says that our queen is God's representative on earth. One incredible thought, that she has to represent 
God to the world. Now, we've heard earlier in, on that video that she prayed before she took um, ascension to the throne that a commonwealth would pray for her, that she might have the grace from God to take on this huge responsibility. Not only is this a symbol of godly power, the cross above the globe, as I've said, represents Christ's dominion over the world. As a monarch, she is God's representative on earth. Now, just a bit of a side point, if you're interested, any of you are jewelers? <laughs> I know Carl did a bit of that, Sue. This was made for Charles II's coronation in 1661, this orb. It's 30 centimetres wide I'd imagine from the depth to the top of the cross. It's a hollow gold sphere mounted with nine emeralds, 18 rubies, nine sapphires, 365 diamonds, 375 pearls, one amethyst and one glass stone. The pearls divide the orb into three sections which at the ancient times it was created were believed to be the three continents which medieval rulers believed were the totality of continents in the world at that time that's what it was meant for it weighs about one and a half kilograms and it is presented to the sovereign after they put on the imperial robe the orb is brought from the altar by the dean of westminster given to the archbishop of canterbury to place into the monarch's right hand now listen to this this is what the archbishop of canterbury then says to her Majesty, receive this orb set under the cross and remember that the whole world is subject to the power and empire of Christ, our Redeemer. What lovely words, what powerful words. And you know, our Queen, I believe, received that with the seriousness that such a statement presents. So that is the orb. Let's have a look at the scepter. The scepter is one of two scepters used in the coronation ceremony. This one's known as the sovereign scepter, with the cross representing the queen's temporal power and is associated with good governance. It measures 92 centimetres and holds the world's largest diamond. I don't know if you knew that, maybe you did. It's called the Cullinan I, or one also known as the first star of Africa, found in South Africa in 1905. It was gifted to Edward VII in 1907 to help mend relations between Britain and South Africa after the Boer War. Then it was cleaved in Amsterdam, eventually into nine parts, and listen to this, and 97 smaller brilliant diamonds. This just happens to be the biggest bit of it. Wow. A whopping, ladies, you won't fit this on a ring, a whopping 530 carats. Which was set in the scepter in 1910 and first used at George V's coronation. The structure which holds the diamond is hinged so the stone may be removed and worn separately, although this has been rarely done. And the scepter also had to be reinforced as the weight of the diamond is so large. <laughs> Wouldn't have any ladies about to have their rings reinforced for the size of diamond that is upon them. Sorry, darling, didn't quite manage that, did I? No. <laughs> you can just about see them. The pommel, or the hilt of the scepter, is also enameled with rubies, emeralds, sapphires, and diamonds. You can see that on the visual behind me there. 
And George IV had an enamelled rose, thistle shamrock, added to the Mond for his coronation in 1820. It weighs about a kilogram and was created by the man who made the, the orb, Robert Viner. It was placed into the left hand of the monarch during the coronation and carried out of the ceremony with the orb whilst the sovereign wears the imperial robe and the imperial state crown. Incidentally, the crown, as soon as this is over, is, com is quickly rushed back in a box to the Tower of London. She, she can't prance around with the crown on her head. It's so precious, they get it off her as soon as she's done the ceremony. Now, as the scepter is handed to the monarch, the archbishop says, receive the rod of equity and mercy. He might say, receive the rod of justice and mercy. Be so merciful that you not be remiss. So execute justice that you forget not mercy. Punish the wicked, protect and cherish the just, and lead your people in the way wherein they should go. Now let's summarise, because there's a lot of information in that. So the sovereign's orb is a symbol of godly power. The cross above a globe represents Christ's dominion over the world. As the monarch is God's representative on earth. At a coronation ceremony, the queen is instructed to receive this orb set under the cross and remember that the whole world is subject to the power and empire of Christ our Redeemer. In short, the orb reminds the queen, here it is, and this will link to you in a minute, reminds the queen that she is under God's authority and her own authority is divinely delegated. That relates to you in a minute. The scepter, the sovereign scepter as it's known, with its diamond under the cross, represents the temporal power of the king or queen and is associated with good governance. In short, she's to rule and execute her power as God's representative on earth with justice and mercy. Now, when I read this and did the research for this, it reminded me of the psalm, Psalm 89, verse 14, where it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. In a sense, I guess the words that she had to receive when taking that uh, scepter speaks of the queen being there to extend the justice and mercy of heaven on earth. So the orb represents delegated authority to rule. The scepter represents gifted power to rule. So orb, authority, scepter, power. This delegated authority and gifted power comes from a higher eternal throne. And the psalmist elsewhere, sons of Korah, actually describe this eternal throne as follows. Psalm 45 verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, and of course this is repeated in Hebrews 1, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Let me read that again. Your throne, O God, is forever. Think about that. I know you know it, but think about it. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, here's where it swings towards you. We too are subject to this eternal throne, just as our queen is. You know that. I know most of you, maybe all of you, know that we're subject to this eternal throne. It's a sovereign over our sovereign. King of kings, as Paul prayed. The greatest king. The eternal purposes of this eternal monarch for you must be treasured, must be treasured within your own lifetime. Whilst earthly kingdoms will come and go, and we see that throughout world history, 
This eternal monarch I'm speaking of, not our, our, our queen, but the king of kings, this eternal monarch will have a reign which knows no end. Our queen soon, I believe, will pass into her eternal glory with her king. And my goodness, she'll get a round of applause. She's a precious woman. But she knows there is a greater king. Daniel speaks about this eternal kingdom in Daniel 7.14, a kingdom that will know no end. Isaiah 9.7 talks about an everlasting kingdom. Revelation 11.5 talks about a king of kings that will know no end to his rule. And our, ki- our queen realizes this and has lived her life with that awareness, I believe. She knows that delegated authority and gifted power comes from a higher eternal throne and her coronation ceremony, as I've clearly outlined, acknowledges this. Now, how does this information apply to your life? To your life? Well, these truths should be and could be applied to every Christian believer on planet Earth. You see, the Bible says in Romans 5.17 that Christians are to reign in life. That's you, through Jesus Christ. Each Christian can operate in delegated power and authority. Now, don't switch off with this, because if you understand this, this will bring heaven to earth through your life. It's powerful, this truth I'm going to teach you now. And if you can receive it, because the Bible says, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Don't look at the vessel with a silly shirt on. What do you think of the style, or what do you think of the content? Listen to what I'm saying to you. God has delegated authority and power for you, the disciple of Jesus. He has delegated authority and power for you. I've taken people who used to be criminals, two weeks saved on the streets, and they've seen miracles. It's not for the super spiritual. I've seen it twice that. People who were in crime, two weeks later, they're working miracles. Why? Because spiritual output is not born of our excellence. It's born of his excellence. It's born of his goodness. Your goodness is running after me. And the goodness of God is running after people, even in this room as I'm preaching. You, you, you know that God is after your heart. You know that God wants your whole life. I'm speaking to someone now. Even as I'm preaching, you know God wants you. And you want God. And I believe the Lord would turn your heart to him, that individual that can hear the sound of my voice. God wants to turn your heart to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you will reign in life. Now, what does that mean? Let me read the scripture that that's based in Romans 5, 17. It says this. If by the sins of one man, it's talking about Adam, the first man. If by the sins of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, this is what's found in Jesus Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense, for those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and a gift of righteousness, there's the difference between all of the world religions. I was talking to a Muslim on, in the concourse of the week. He says, all right, my mate, I came in and we had a great chat. We talked about this, he had the Quran on the wall. And I was talking about having a relationship with Jesus. And, and I was talking to him about the goodness of knowing God, because he was telling me he was low and he was depressed and he was worried after COVID. And I ended up holding hands with him over the table and praying for him in Jesus' name. 
And he said, do you do this a lot, my mate? Come and, come and bless Muslims. I said, my Muslim brothers love me in the local curry house. They spend half an hour trying to convert me, and I spend half an hour trying to convert them. But the, the truth remains that when God gave me a word of knowledge about this man's family, I won't go into detail, something I should have never known, in front of his whole, he's a manager, in front of the whole of his restaurant, he leant over this, the restaurant bar, bowed his head as a Muslim friend of mine and said, pray for me, pastor, in front of his restaurant guests. Because there's something about knowing God, because we had yeah. parallels in our Judeo-Abrahamic backdrop to our face, where we could talk about one great God, for him, Allah, for me, Yahweh. We could talk about this one great God, but the difference in our conversation was I was speaking about a God who I knew. He was a great guy who was talking about a God that he wanted to know. You hear me? And Christians, wherever they walk, carry this incredible truth that we can know God personally. And in knowing God, the river of his reign goes through the life of a believer. We'll come back to that at the end. Christians are called to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Christians are kings and priests to God. Revelation 1.6, Revelation 5.10 says we are kings and priests to God. Jesus said in Revelation 3.21, those who overcome, I will let them sit on my throne. Wow. Don't forget it's his throne. We're not becoming demigods. But he's talking about sitting with him in his power and his authority. And that is for you. I'm going to talk a bit more about authority and power, if that's okay, because this is Pentecost Sunday, and you do need the power of God. Romans 5.17 talks about death reigning through one man, but life reigning through one man, Jesus Christ. See, the reign of Jesus is life-giving, The reign of Jesus is life-given, and he expects all Christians to carry that life-giving agenda. Now, I don't want this to sit heavy on you, but I do want you to consider it seriously. Here's a key question. How are you and I using our delegated authority and gifted power to bring life to this world? You see, the church has often, in in history, turned the kingdom on its head. Jesus said, go, and we've asked the world to come. Are you hearing me? So it's all gone quiet in here. A lot of people think taking the gospel to the world is the job of the extreme evangelists or the apostolic types. Let me say to you, Charles Haddon Spurgeon got it right. It is the job of the whole church. Pauline's right on the edge of a seat for this. We will get them flyers done at some point. I'm saying it publicly now, yeah. just for your sake. <laughs> it is the job of the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. I'll say that again. It's the job of the whole church 
to take the whole gospel, which includes the powerful signs that follow, to the whole world. It is not the job of just the evangelist. Now, 80% of people get saved through relational journeying with evangelism. But we should, not be unash- we should not be ashamed of our Lord in any setting. We should be willing to share Jesus, to give a hope, a- a- an account of the hope that's within us wherever we go at any time. If you're a secret agent for Jesus in this room, it's time to turn that around. It's time to be proud of Jesus. Give me a wave if you're proud of our queen. All right? I, I had no problem wearing a daft T-shirt with Wonder Woman and the Queen's head on it. <laughs> I'm proud of our queen. I love her. If I believed in getting a tattoo, I'd probably have a tattoo on my arm. Nothing wrong with tattoos if you've got... I, I, don't, I don't judge you, but what I'm saying is I wouldn't have one. But I love her that much. She'd probably be one of my tattoos. Yeah. Wonderful woman. Have I said that? Yeah. It's important to recognize that God is infinitely better and more wonderful. I once did a, I once did a preaching series called Tattooed Church. So it was one of those, you know, Marmite series. Some hated it. Some loved it. It kind of got relevance for some. But I went out on the streets inter- interviewing people and asked them why they had tattoos and some great Vox Pop interviews. And on this street moment, the subtitle was, people display what they, what they value. People display what they value. It might be that they have a heart that says mum on, and the dates of the mum's life, or a child that they lost. I mean, there was one person came into our church the other day, a few years ago, and they'd lost a child. And they had a t- I didn't know they'd lost a child, and I remarked to them and said, I love your tattoo. Can you imagine your pastor saying that? so worried this is for the child I lost we're very judgmental aren't we in the church but people display what they value and we should be so proud of Jesus that wherever we go whether we wear it on our skin we're telling people about the goodness of God Evangelism is not about a technique or a method or this is how you should do it. Evangelism flows from relationship with God. It's just natural. If you know him, you talk about him. It's like a love affair. Have you ever seen these loved up teenagers that you, know, you have to use a crowbar to get them from being <laughs> in, intertwined around one another? <laughs> this is what it is for a Christian to be in love with Jesus. They're obsessed. They can't stop talking about Jesus. In the same way as you get with somebody who's loved up like that, it gets a bit Kylie, doesn't it? Can't get you out of my... Yeah, you're with me, Miriam. Some, some, really, I'm getting the religious spirits out of the room in Jesus' name. No, we can't. Jesus, Jesus is so wonderful that he should be our magnificent obsession. Do you remember the Delirious song, What Can I Do With My Obsession? Do you remember that? Yeah. It was in the Live and in the Can album in the 90s. Probably lots of you never saw that. But I, I want to be so intimate and hungry for Jesus that he is the magnificent obsession of my heart. Is he yours? So many Christians you see live with their shoulders slumped and permanently feel rejected by God. 
They feel ineffective for Christ in this world. I want to say, if that's you this morning, I've got a word for you. God wants you to reign in life. God wants you to reign in life. And to do this, you need to understand your authority and power, your authority and power, your delegated authority and power. Let's just look at them together now. You need to take your own orb, speaking of authority, and your own scepter, speaking of power, to discharge your royal duty before God. So let's look at the authority of the believer, or our orb. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission reads like this. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. Now, of course, that relates to you and me because these hearers, these initial hearers, wouldn't have been there to the end of the age. This is a statement for the church that Christ by his spirit is going to be with us to the end of the age, helping us do the work of God's mission. See, the authority of the believer is inextricably linked to the mission of God. And it says, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Now, if this doesn't thrill you, this, this message, this truth, we've got a question where our heart is with God. The mission of God should, should be so deeply rooted within our heart that when the preacher says, Jesus has said, go, our heart says, yes, Lord. I, I, I heard a story about Reinhard Bonnke. He phones Daniel Kalender up, who's his successor. Daniel! Can't do Daniel. <laughs> Daniel answers, I must come and see you. So he's coming down the next day, which is a Sunday. Reinhard comes down, Daniel puts on a meal in a local eatery, sits down. Why is Reinhard turning up? What's the matter with him? What's the matter, Reinhard? Why do you want to see me so hurriedly? Because the Lord has told me to buy a facility. But, but, but Reinhard, it's Sunday, everywhere's closed. Now here's the point. He said, I know. But I want God to know that when he speaks, I jump. Oh. When he speaks, I jump. That story, when I heard it for the first time, really impacted me. This is a man who's on the edge of his seat waiting to say, what is God saying to me? And if you met Reinhard, he's the most godly man I've ever met. He's a mighty man of God, like Billy Graham probably was. Never met Billy Graham. But he said, when he speaks, I jump. And the gospel that I've just read to you said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go. In our workplaces, in our schools, in our walks, 
in our supermarkets. Pastor Steve, you're more interested in evangelism than me. No. You see, there is this trend in the church. I don't mean to belittle anyone or make anyone feel bad, but this idea of stealth evangelism. Like, like I'm being wise and I'm not telling them anything about Jesus. I'm keeping it hidden so that I can be relevant and relate and fit in. Can I say to you, you you live in Christ's way will never fit in. You're not meant to fit in. You're meant to stand out. You're meant to make people mad or glad. You're meant to be so proud of your Jesus that people either want it or run from you. We're not meant to fit in. We're passing through. We're pilgrims. We are not meant to be cold religious people. We're meant to be full of love. For God. There's a great book on evangelism. I think it's the guy called Pete Gilbert who wrote it, and it's this title. I love the title. It's called Kiss and Tell. Do you remember those books? Yeah. Kiss and Tell. What it really means is when I've kissed God, when I've experienced his breath on my face, when I've experienced his embrace, I just want to tell people. Can I say to you, just to cut through the festivities at the moment, God is wanting to restore the church to a place of love for him yeah. in these days. He's wanting to restore my love for him. He's he's wanting to restore your love for him. He's wanting you to be so intimate with him like the the loved up teenagers that when you come out from that embrace, all you can do is talk about the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you go. Am I being too heavy? Well, I'm an introvert. I've got a book on introverted evangelism. It's a great book by Reuben Morley, Evangelism for Introverts. But it is the job of the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. It is not merely the job of the Alan Joneses, the evangelists. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. As a brief aside, by the way, in that passage, did you notice it said that some doubted? Did you notice that? The quickest way for you to get rid of your doubting heart is to get involved in the mission of God. I heard a story about the great renewal leader, David Watson. Do you remember him? Give me a wave if you remember David Watson. David Watson used to return, it it was said of him, after week-long missions where he'd literally led hundreds to Christ. And he would drive home from week-long missions doubting the existence of God. You hear me? It's, it's, it's important for you to recognize that doubts come to people who go through stuff. But I want to say to you, when some doubted in this passage, what, what was Jesus' remedy for the doubts of their faith? He said, go. I'm telling you, when you go, when you take Jesus to the world, the Lord turns up. I'm going to mention power in a minute. See, I'm talking about delegated authority. Jesus centers in his authority. My name, go. All authority is my Go. And all of us are waiting to get this whacking of power that I'm going to speak of in a minute. And God just said, go. I, I don't know whether it was with Mandy or Sue Bridgman, but I, one of the first times I went onto the streets in Skem, I was on the streets and there's a man called Alejandro, who was a homeless man. Was it you or was it Mandy? I can't remember. Do you remember a Spanish guy? No. Must have been Mandy. I walked over to Alejandro. Now bear in mind, I'm 46 this year. It's 30 years since I stood, well, no, 32 years since I studied Spanish. 
I did it for two or three years. I crouched down next to Alejandro, and I shared the God. This is the truth. Somebody saw this in our church. Shared the gospel in fluent Spanish. And I'm, as I'm speaking, I'm saying to Alejandro, verb tenses I didn't even know. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how do I know these verb tenses to these sentences? And this homeless man, this Spanish man, streaming with tears as I share the gospel. And it's only when I come out from sharing the gospel in Spanish, in Skem, <laughs> and I've got a video of the guy at our first service in the Green Hill, Alejandro. What am I telling you this story for? Because when you go, he comes upon you in the moment of mission. When people are doubting their faith in God, the surest way for you to get faith back is to go into all the world and tell people about Jesus. I'm not sure that I I could do that. Start small. Start somewhere. We're, only, we're not trying to drag everyone. It doesn't matter if you, the results are God's business. The faithfulness is yours. Fruitfulness is faithfulness yours. Tell someone today. But make sure it flows from the Jesus you know and not the Jesus you heard about. There's a difference. You can't dance drunk on a table, slurring your words, and then come down at the bar and say, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it changed my life. Which does happen. It sounds flippant, but it does happen. We cannot have a clear gospel with a compromised morality. It's so important that we get intimate with God, we embrace the holiness of God so the life of God can flow through us. All true disciples are sent ones. Did you know that? That's where the word apostle comes from. Sent ones. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I send you in John's gospel. We're commissioned with delegated authority to extend the rule of Jesus. That's what you're commissioned to do. That's what the role of the church is. John Piper says, mission exists. Do you remember the Baptist preacher, John Piper? Mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. There are people in this world who don't yet know Christ. The inevitable consequence of that for the true believer is that they should want to reach out to that lost and dying soul. Spurgeon said something like this. If you have no desire to save the lost, you can be sure that you're lost yourself. I let that hang. Because the person who has been moved from darkness into light knew what it was like to stand in the shadowlands. Know where they came from. Know what's over there. And standing in the light, they want to give away what they've got. It is inevitable. It, it's, it's, just, it's like you carry a cure for cancer and you want to tell the world about it. The spiritual cancer that's affecting so many people that has eternal consequences for the lost who are not with Christ. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And both are eternal. This is how urgent the gospel needs to be preached to all the world. Are you hearing me, church? I'm not ashamed of teaching you this. It's the right thing for a pastor to teach. Now, 
we've been given delegated authority, we've also been challenged to move in power. And I would say this phrase for you to understand linked to what I've said about going. We're to pursue power, but also expect power. We're to pursue power, but also expect power. See, the power for the believer is normal Christianity. I remember listening to Daniel Kalender once, and he said, quite often, he goes into church context, and of course, an itinerant minister as he is, and he stood in the worship setting, and he thought to himself, I wonder if the Apostle Paul came into this assembly now. Would he recognize it? He might say, what religion is this? Remember, it's Pentecost Sunday. I I just wonder, and we're not talking about living perfectly, we're talking about powerful people. I just wonder whether we, particularly having gone through the COVID landscape, have backed away from the expression of power in the Holy Ghost because of our experience of the loss and suffering of this season. Quite often we respond to our experience rather than the scriptures. And Jesus said, when we go into all the world, come here, Paul. You're perfect to represent God because you're much bigger than me and a great man of God at that. Jesus said in the present continuous tense in the Greek, these signs, the signs of God, the power of God. It's like, like a guy I brought over from Skenworth once, June, he said, and when I told him he was a policeman, he said, I'd go with him. <laughs> <laughs> these signs, the representative here, Paul, is representing the power of the Holy Ghost, the presence of Jesus himself by his spirit. These signs will continually, let's walk, continually be at the side of those who are continually believing for them. Did you hear the present continuous tense? Thanks for your patience, Paul. I'm glad it's me leading you and not the other way around. I would go with it. These signs will continually be at the side of those who are continually believing for them. Now, thanks, Paul. Now, I want to suggest to you, and I am coming to land now with this, that the supernatural breaks in and we give room to God by believing in spite of what we feel. I have seen many miracles, and maybe some of you have too, and the majority of them, I felt nothing and I heard nothing from the Lord. And if I do anything today, I want to encourage you to share Jesus and expect his power to flow through your life. I remember a gay man in, in Skem Church come to faith in Jesus, and he was hit by the power of God, and he bounced up, and his first words were, what power, how exhilarating. I was out in Jobstown, near Dublin, and there was the local hard man who was the vigilante that dealt with any injustices in the community, real hard case. I led him to Christ, didn't expect anything to see anything. Literally, like God arrested him, he was thrown against the car pinned like a cop would arrest someone and in this Irish lilt that I probably can't do very well at all he said what's that I said that's the Holy Spirit he's like pinned down under the power of God 
said, it feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> power. What happened as a result of that power? He, his girlfriend, his mother-in-law-to-be, all gave their life to Jesus that night. Wow. Yes? We, we, we need to expect power. power. Power falls when we go. We should pursue power. We should ask for the power of the Holy Spirit, but we should expect it on mission. If any of you are struggling at the moment with your faith, having doubts, struggling with your journey with Jesus, it's so important to get, on with, get back in the game and get on with the job, to preach the gospel. Glenn tells me that at the Warriors, he's often nudging as chaplain the truth of Jesus into that context, gently, respectfully, but being unashamed of the Lord. You will have your own style. You will have your own words. But you will have your own opportunities to share Jesus. I, I want to say to you, there is nothing more important than sharing Christ with somebody who doesn't know him. There isn't. To not share Christ with someone is the most unloving thing that you can do. Because what you're saying is you really don't care about their eternal damnation. I don't care, mate, that Jesus said that the, 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 the fire will never die that you'll be eternally tormented and never know the relief that death brings. That's what scripture presents. I don't care, mate. That's what we're saying when we don't share Jesus. And sharing Jesus is important. We'll close with this idea. Sharing Jesus is important because that's how people enter into the kingdom of Christ. Sharing the need to repent of sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is the very thing that brings people into the reign of Jesus. And as we think about Her Majesty's reign today, think about the king beyond Her Majesty, who reigns over the universe, who has delegated his authority and power to you so that you can share the gospel wherever you are and expect signs to follow you because you believe. That is not just for certain personalities in the church. One of the things that really is on my life is to tell the church that everyone can do what Jesus did. John 14, 12 to 14. Anyone who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do as well. She will do as well. Because the, the power of God has come at Pentecost and is available for all who seek it and expect it. Are you hearing the message? Yeah. Shall we just have a closing song? I, I just want to give time for you to ask the Lord for his power. One of the things I do um, is I ask the Lord for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. I, I ask God, give me an opportunity to share Christ with someone. And you'd be surprised at how many times God has answered that prayer. I used to go around with tracts in my pocket. And every time I did, I'd have an opportunity. Maybe I should start wearing tracts all the time again. You know, like the Why Jesus from the Alpha Course or something like that. It's important that we grow on in this gifting as a church, that the whole church takes the whole gospel to the whole world we will be going on mission in the months to come and if you'd like to come with me i'll take anyone who's a member of the church and under authority we'll let you know when that happens and you will see incredible things god will do incredible things the last time we went to romania the deaf heard they've been blind seeing brain tumor disappeared on one occasion it was a powerful time and you'll see incredible things too demons were cast out souls were saved this is what we should expect. This is normal Christianity. Let's believe for that. Amen. Okay, guys.